Ossert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ossert Podcast, Share Today, Save Tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and this month I chat with Chris Horsley from COSIV. We dive into the world of threat intelligence and the importance of not just information, but why context matters so much. Then it's over to my co-host, Beck, who chats with Ossert director, David Stockdale. They reflect on the last 12 months at Ossert as the world's best CERT celebrated its 30th birthday. It's fitting that Chris was our guest interview as he's a former Ossert team member. Today, I'm joined by Chris Horsley from COSIV. How are you doing, Chris? Very well, thank you. How are you going? I'm really well. So, do you want to just maybe talk to us a little bit about what you do at COSIV? And I know, like, this is the OzCert podcast, and you are a former OzCert team member. So, do you want to just talk to us a little bit about your background and story and how you've landed at COSIV and what you do there? Yeah, sure. Well, mentioning COSIV, so I, sorry, I mentioned, well, OzCert for a start. I worked at OzCert from 2004 to 2006. So a very different time, I guess, thinking it's almost 20 years since I started there. I got the chance to work at JP Cert in Japan. So I moved to Japan for four years and I worked there. Then I did freelancing for a while. I was very interested in tooling with incident response and threat intel, among other things. And then three of us who were all doing the solo thing a little bit decided to form COSIV. So Terry McDonald and Kane Norton and myself, we became the co-founders of COSIV and we're seven years old at this point. And yeah, based in Victoria and New South Wales and over in New Zealand as well. One of the big things that you talk about is around threat intelligence and threat intelligence sharing. Over that time from when you started at OzCert and then JPCert and right through your career, obviously threat intel has been a pretty big part of all of that all the way through. Maybe a good place to start is when you talk about threat intel and threat intelligence, what, does that, what, what do you see that as? Yeah, that's a great question because I think... I mean, intelligence as a concept, I mean, military intelligence and things has obviously been around for thousands of years, but now we have this new thing called cyber threat intelligence. And I feel like people have been often struggling to perfectly define what exactly it is. Something we talk a lot about at COSIV are the differences between threat data and threat information, threat intel, which really amounts to maybe how raw it is, how much insight it can offer. People use these things very interchangeably. So something we see very commonly and have for years is a list of bad IPs, a list of bad URLs or domains. So we could call this maybe threat information. So somebody's just provided this with very little context and context is the point we keep hammering with threat intelligence. Once we can start to really connect a threat actor to a campaign, to an incident, to how they carry out that incident in terms of the attack patterns and and TTPs, Then we have the IOCs, of course, of domains and hashes and all those atomic level things we need to use to go and find it in our logs and all the rest of it. But threat intelligence, the way we like to define it, really tells a full picture of if I find this IP, if I find this hash, what am I dealing with? What was the likely impact? What do I do next? What's the course of action? Am I dealing with a nation state or am I dealing with a an opportunistic, financially driven threat actor instead. And those things would have a big bearing on how you're going to respond to this incident. So like when we talk about, for example, IOC's indicators of compromise, 
I mean, that can be a whole bunch of different things. It, it can be just some weird traffic coming from one address or some sort of weird activity or an unusual login. It could be, there's a whole bunch of different things in there. And what you talk about really is important because it's the context because an unusual login on its own shouldn't raise a huge alarm bell, but it should raise awareness that look for other stuff that gives it some, you know, gives you context around that. Is there, do you think there's been too much focus on the panic or the, you know, the focus on that initial thing that people see, whatever that indicator is, versus actually do, you know, really understanding it before you overreact or underreact even, for example? Well, that's it. Uh, so I think a lot of detection teams, often SOCs, they're bringing in all this feed, all these feeds. They don't struggle for having indicators of compromise. They have way too many of them. Mm. And quite often they're seeing also alerts that are based on very old indicators of compromise. An example I like to use a lot is we see an IP that was regarded as bad at some point. If we're talking about maybe a cloud hosting environment, because a threat actor might run up a VPS Linux box as a disposable box, the IP might be recycled in, in a day or a week. If I'm still alerting on sightings of that IP address six months later, I might have created myself a lot of panic where we're talking about a completely different use of that box. I mean, it may not be an attack. It could be totally benign access to it. It could be a different threat actor. And we've seen cases of incorrect correlation based on the exact same IP address, but used at different periods of time by different threat actors. Because if we're talking about ransomware first phishing, let's say, two entirely different magnitudes of threat. So, and as you, know, you talked about socks in there and what they've got to do and like, I kind of feel like the last five years has been the era of the sock. And it seems like every man and his dog is opening a sock or doing something with a sock. What is it that, you know, obviously they're, they're putting a lot of effort into looking for these indicators and understanding context. Are they, do you see that even though now we've had this rise of socks, are they doing it particularly well? Is there, where are the blind spots that a lot of sock operators are kind of, you know, finding? I think for some it's, just managing data curation. We've got all these feeds and they could be open source, they could be community driven, you could be paying a lot of money for a commercial feed. So we've got all of these, okay, we've got to house them somewhere. Sometimes that's a threat intelligence platform, but you could also you know, roll something in house. Then you need a detection engineering function. So how are we gonna take advantage of all these? Because just looking for the you know hits of every single thing in all of our logs actually takes a lot of work. It sounds very simple, we're assuming that the logs are all going to be in one place. We're assuming that you know none of these have broken down over time. We're assuming that they're going to be in a parsable format and they've been normalized. So and I, the field that's the IP address in one log type is the same as another. There's actually a lot of curation work. I mean, tools make this stuff easier, but then there's a lot of quality assurance. Are the state our logs were in a year ago, is that still what we're dealing with today? Do we have the blind spot that that log feed just died? because nobody was maintaining the log folder, let's say. Do we have a health check for that? Something we've been encouraging people to do a lot is attack simulation. So we do a lot of software development at CoSIV, a lot of product build type stuff, and we rely heavily on CI, CD pipelines, automated tests of code bases. So attack simulation basically gives you automated testing of detection capabilities, but also the health of logging pipelines as well. So what's the... I'm trying to just think, you know, like for an organization that's kind of going down this road and is saying whatever they're doing today to manage their cybersecurity threat environment needs to evolve because the environment just keeps changing. And they might have said, oh, we invested in a seam four years ago and 
you know, we've got a tool that dumps a whole bunch of log data in the middle and we feel comfortable because enough, you know, blinky lights appear and, you know, we see enough. If we see 10 red dots in a row, we think there's a thing in the log that we need to go and pay attention. So people have kind of moved into, you know, we've gone to the seam and then, you know, the natural evolution of that has become, well, we need to do something bigger and more robust and that's become a sock. And you have a bunch of people looking at, you know, screens with maps and all sorts of fancy graphics that make for great photography. But then we're kind of moving into this next generation. And it sounds like to me, you're kind of, that's what you're thinking about is the, not just what you need today, but, you know, the preparedness for the what's next. When you talk to your customers and you talk to people as you have, you know, at conferences and other events, what's the stuff that you focus on telling them that they need to really get right to be able to move forward in this world? So as I mentioned, yeah, so that health of alerting is a really, really important piece and not everybody's doing that yet. Otherwise, a real focus, I think, on what the humans in the SOC do with all these alerts. You know, alarm fatigue is not a new concept, but it's still very much real. So we talked earlier about that idea that I found this indicator of compromise, but it's too old. It doesn't really reflect an attack. It's just, how would you say, an echo of something that somebody previously found. But if we're dealing with 80% of those, just making up a number here, if 80% of the, the alerts coming into the SOC are false positives, then we start to get a lot more, let's say, jaded. We start to get a lot less confident in the accuracy of any one alert. So yeah, the analysts start to get a little bit, that's a little bit blasé, maybe get a little bit too loose with how they dismiss, how quickly they would dismiss these alerts. So that's one issue that we see a lot of. The next is that people in the SOC have very differing levels of experience. I mean, we've got a lot of new people coming into you know, cybersecurity all the time. They haven't necessarily seen all the beasts that we deal with. We see a lot of phishing. We see a lot of maybe network scanning, a lot of low-grade stuff, but every now and then you're going to get some exotic animal. We've never had to deal with it before, but maybe this is the one that is the big event. It's the data leak. It's, it's the beginning of the ransomware case. This is where the threat actor made their beachhead and they're starting to move through the organization. Maybe that was the alert. So, yeah, part of it is removing that noise. Another part is helping analysts to have playbooks. So rather than just saying, here's a bunch of alerts, go crazy, we've actually sat down and done some threat modeling. We've decided, okay, so if we had a ransomware case, firstly, how would we detect it? Then how do we respond? And this starts to get into the incident response side of the coin, but you've got to spend time and attention to actually sit down, write those playbooks. And then even after spending all that time writing playbooks, how do we update them? Are people actually reading them? Something we've seen as well is, We've got this lovely curated set of playbooks that are kept up to date and tagged and all of this great stuff. But analysts may not know they exist in a big organization because they've got this sprawling, you know, data store, SharePoint, Wiki, whatever it is. So yeah, just getting them to actually use them, maintain them, update them when they're not quite reflecting reality. Big orgs move quickly and things get out of date. One of the things you mentioned earlier on was you talked about like the, the, the way an IP address could be dangerous yesterday, but be fine today because of the recycling of addresses and because of you know people spinning up VMs and so on. I imagine that for when you're talking about actually identifying threats, I mean, the other thing is that a lot of infrastructure that criminals use or bad actors use is very ephemeral. You know, they're, they're literally spinning up containerized systems to do stuff that only exist for microseconds in some cases and, you know, very short periods of time. Has that changed the way you've had to kind of look at how you investigate and where that what the value of that data is inside the threat intelligence yeah very much so a good example here are domain names 
So some domain names might belong to a legitimate business and a threat actor has compromised the website. So the domain name is issued as the indicator of compromise. So if one of your customers, your employees has hit this website running WordPress on this particular day, yeah, it was running a phishing site. So that would indicate the compromise. But what about something like SolarWinds? SolarWinds was sort of one of the, the core, the critical indicators of compromise was the domain shared by all victims. And they used some clever subdomain dynamically generated subdomain names for the command and control infrastructure. That domain name lasted for well over a year. So we're talking about a domain that had a very finite lifespan and threat intelligence needs to also, rather than just that list of domains, the the minimum bar for this sort of threat intelligence is, well, what dates? When did it start? When was it malicious? And when did it stop being malicious again? When was it benign? That often gets left out in a lot of fees because it's hard to know where these things end. You know, how long are we, we have to keep actively monitoring these things and issue an update and a lot of fees may not support that. So when we're bringing in this list of domains we're going to be watching, are we watching it for three days or are we going to watch it forever? Because this is out and out malicious infrastructure owned by a threat actor. You handle those two things very different ways in terms of detection and, and response. And that's, that's a, that's a, that must be a massive challenge for the people who create these feeds that are being used by people through their systems. It's, you know, I mean, it's not just adding the new stuff, but it is actually deprecating the old stuff that's, not, that's no longer valid or no longer really there. How, do you guys help on that journey to some degree? Like how, how can a, a, you know, an organisation actually handle that? Because I imagine you know, we do have this 25 to 28,000 person shortage of cybersecurity skills in Australia and globally it's you know, into the hundreds of thousands or millions, depending on who you ask. If we don't have enough people to throw at this problem, how do we actually handle this? So the people shortages are interesting. I've certainly been playing a lot with LLMs since, you know, ChatGPT became a big thing. My particular interest has been in the threat intelligence side of things. So let's say we have a threat intelligence platform and a SIEM and all these great automated systems that we can use as repositories. We read a lot of these reports as text, as blog posts, as PDFs. How do we take that other than copying and pasting all the IPs and domains? And there's tools out there like a Python script and it gets all the IPs and domains out. But that again is more like information rather than threat intelligence because we extract these these strings basically using regular expressions, but we've lost all the context of the report. So what I've been interested in is how can we tell an LLM, which is very good at summarizing and processing text to give me a threat intelligence package with all the context. And I've had some really interesting early successes with that. So maybe I've got a, a blog post and it lists five IPs and two domains and some hashes and things. So not only can I extract you know, all the guts of those you know, IPs I'm gonna be looking for, but I can say, give me contextual strings. This IP was the command and control. This IP was used as the client IP when they made a beachhead in the organization. This hash was the dropper. This hash was the ransomware client. So GPT-4 can extract all of that for me. The other thing I found that's very unexpectedly capable of is I can give it that block of text and say, which MITRE attack techniques do you estimate are in here? And it would say, oh, sure, it used PowerShell. So I'll give you the PowerShell ID. It understands with some interesting prompting tricks, which MITRE attack IDs to use. Because that's something we're always talking about, adding the context, adding TTPs and attack patterns. It makes a pretty good fist at adding 
those chains of events to it. I've also got it to thing, say things like, oh, could you extract the, the name of the threat actor? How about going and then do an enrichment against certain known data stores of threat actor names and aliases and we'll put the date in there. So the downside of this, of course, famously, ChatGPT and friends hallucinate. So, <laughs> and I was about to ask you because the challenge of LLMs is not that they tell you the truth, but they tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes, right? Yeah. So uh, I've ended up developing a prompt for this you know, unstructured thread intel to structured thread intel. It's just a Python script at this point, which uses GPT-4 as an API. But I've come up with a very long, quite a long prompt. It's probably about 500 words at this point. It's very instructive. It has a lot of bullet points about what it should do, what it shouldn't do, that have been tuned over time on the basis of successes and failures from running various reports. The other thing I've found that is incredibly valuable is giving it an example, giving it a little section of fabricated blog post and showing this is the exact JSON I want to see as a result of that. Once you start doing that, it is a lot more accurate at capturing results. And so, yeah, so the prompt sort of keeps evolving over time as well. The other trick I found is that one run of an LLM, and this is including GPT-4, which is amazing, but it makes absolute boo-boos. An example there, I say, hey, give me all the MITRE attack IDs. And it says, oh, okay, PowerShell. And then I read the text with my own human eyes and I say, there is zero mention of PowerShell in here. What's the meaning of this GPT-4? And it, it'll say, oh, sorry, I made a mistake. That's not there. I'll just retract that and let's pretend it never happened. One way around that is every run of GPT-4, you know, using this script, there's a variability level. I use temperature zero, which is supposed to be the least create the least creativity coming out of the LLM, but there's still definitely variation. It's not deterministic. You won't get the same exact result each time. So what I've ended up doing is running each, each run of the LLM three to five times, I get the result. Then I take those three blobs of JSON, give it back to the LLM and say, do a consensus model of these three things, only add the things which at least two out of three agree on. And that tends to remove those off the reservation. Takes a bit um, of the noise out. Yeah, and so you're left with a fairly conservative set of things, yeah. So, and it's interesting you're using LLM, LLMs through this because that one of the concerns is obviously that threat actors are also deploying similar tools on their side to develop new threats and new tools for themselves. But what really gets me in this is threat intelligence, if there was a single word that kind of summarized what you really, really want, the magic word here is context, yes. isn't it? Because data on its own is not all that helpful. And I guess, you know, it's that old hierarchy of going from data to information to knowledge to wisdom. It, and that's really what you're trying to do is get smarter about what you're going to do and where you're going to deploy those resources. Indeed. Yeah. That's been really fascinating. Thanks, Chris. Just as a final question for you, we have everyone on the podcast this season is being asked the same question and we're trying to, we're not looking for consensus, you know, we're not trying to build an LLM of consensus in cyber with this, but it's just a real great curiosity question. You've been in the industry now long enough that I think you give us a pretty interesting answer, but what do you wish you'd known 10 years ago? Oh, that is a good question, isn't it? I'd have to sit down for a while and think about that, I think. I know the industry has changed certainly a lot over that time. Certain things have not changed. When I started also 2004, I was dealing with phishing. It's almost 2024 and we're still dealing with phishing. But I think 10 years ago, we started to see a definite shift in the way we, the mainstream way we think about cybersecurity. I know in the mid 2000s, a lot of governments 
had very little capacity on this front, a lot of police forces, very little capacity on this front. That's very different today. There were lots of debates in the mid-2000s if cyber warfare would be a thing. Would we uh, supplement kinetic warfare with cyber warfare and taking out infrastructure? And we know the answer to that today. I mean, we look at Ukraine and Russia and it's, yeah, nobody would question this anymore. So those have been a lot of trends, I guess, which have differed. There's a lot of fundamental stuff, though. Um, yeah, I think has very much remained. And I think in companies, they're taking it a lot more seriously, too. As to, so 10 years ago, if we went back to, what, to 2013, I'm not necessarily sure what I could go back and tell myself that wouldn't be too early. I could tell myself about LLMs and in 10 years, you'll, you'll have this <laughs> amazing, <in. laughs> you'll have this amazing AI tool, but you can't use it yet though. That probably wouldn't help me too much. I could tell myself about boards, company boards and governments are going to start taking this stuff a lot more seriously and going to be a lot more open about their offensive operations as well. Going back, I think, 10, 15, certainly 20 years, governments were very coy about any offensive capability that they had. Now every government speaks and recruits very yeah. openly for these things. So it's yeah, very hard to answer that question. I don't think there's something I could have taught. I could have told myself a lot of interesting trivia about the future, <laughs> but I don't know if there's something I could have told myself. I might have been able to invest in the right stocks. Yeah. Uh, and We did have yeah. someone else actually answer that and say yes. investment advice would have been useful. Well, that would have made life a lot easier if I had yeah, just yeah. said, yeah, just keep buying Amazon yeah. stock. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I haven't answered that question for myself, but when you mentioned 2013, uh, November 2013 was the first big mega breach that we really saw in the market, which was Target in the United States. And I wonder for myself, I'm thinking about, it, I'm going like, I wish we'd realized that um, private commercial organizations were going to be such big targets for the next however long that's going to be, because we probably would have done things a little bit differently to stop that mega breach that is trend. True. I think that that for me is probably the one I would think of, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh, well, you've triggered a thought in me, in fact, going all the way back to, I think about 2006, I was talking to a colleague about the very first piece of ransomware we ever saw <laughs> that encrypted files. And in those days, you know, crypto bros and blockchain were yet to be invented. And we were having this discussion. My colleague thought that ransomware was going to be the next big thing. I disagreed because in those days you had to use Western Union. So literally you were walking into a Western Union office to get money offshore. So if you were a threat actor and you were you know, ransoming organizations in a different country, you had to use mules hmm. to get the money out. And that was the risky bit. And Western Union did a lot of work to, you know, have a list of people that were known, you know, mules or fraudsters or whatever. I thought the risk was too high compared to other types of fraud, like phishing and some, hmm. we saw a lot of financial back in those days. I would probably go back and tell myself, going back even a little bit further than 2013, there's going to be this thing called Bitcoin and it's going to revolutionize the way people do fraud specifically with ransomware. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time today, Chris. No worries. Thank you very much. And now it's over to Beck and David. Thank you, Anthony. I'm very excited to be joining you for our last uh, podcast episode of the year. And my special guest today is David Stockdale, Director of Allset. Welcome, David. Thanks, Beck. It's nice to be uh, in front of the microphone and yourself again. It's, uh, it's a great privilege. It's been a little while since I've um, pinned you down to the microphone. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very excited to have you as my guest today. Mm. I'm really excited. You know, I think we've we're in the part of the year where we're getting a bit more reflective. We can see the end in sight. And so I thought this might be a good opportunity for us to think back, back yonder to the start of 2023, which mm. seems a very long time ago, and talk about a few things that we've achieved this year and what's been happening. Because 
when I started to, to compile a few notes, it, it got a bit crazy. We have done a lot these last 12 months. <laughs> we have. I, I'm, I'm not sure about it seems to be a long way since we started the year. It feels like I was just putting the Christmas decorations away and I've just been putting, getting them out again. But <laughs> but it, it has been, it's been a huge year. And I think of all the years I've been in Ulster, this has been the biggest one that we've had. I think we've done some huge changes inside Ulster which has led to some great outcomes for our members. And, and at the end of the day, we were just reflecting on how much we love our cert and, and how much it gets it into your system. And, and that's because we believe in it. And what we really believe in is, is helping our community, our members, to protect themselves. And that gets to you. But when you look, when we do reflect on what we've achieved, it is great. And hopefully the members are starting to really see that, see the benefits of what we've achieved this year. Exactly. I think, and like just generally cybersecurity, the whole industry this year, it's been, it's been a doozy <laughs> overall. So I think everyone's probably having the same thoughts of us going, man, it's been a big one. But, you know, there's highs and lows and, and that's just part of, of, mm. part of life. But hopefully we can be finding ways to be more resilient minimize the impact that's all we can do i think so i think there's also this realization from from lots of people who work in our industry that that, that you know attacks happen yeah they are that and you know we we've the, the phrase not if but when is used a lot and it's it's very much pertinent for you the university of queensland because that's one of our slogans that we used <laughs> but you know we're getting to that realization that these things happen so how how can we detect early how can we prepare how can we try to prevent obviously first and foremost yeah but when we do have these things happen how can we react in a very timely manner minimize the impact and recover quickly yeah. It's, um, nothing is bulletproof. No, no, it's not, and and and, and that it would be okay if the if, if our adversaries were not moving on in their techniques, if they were static in their development. But unfortunately, they're moving on very, very fast, and we see technology moving on very, very fast as well. And and they utilise technology very, very well as well. So, yeah. yeah, it is surprising just how much all that changes. I, I think you know, phishing takedowns is a great example. You know, it's been an old set bread and butter for many years. And we've got some great processes for how we process those and what we can do. But it's, it's really changed this year. You know, our adversaries have figured out how to put capture codes. That's right. <laughs> on their sites. It's, okay, what we were using to protect ourselves is now blocking us from taking these down. And if there's any of our adversaries listening, please stop it. <laughs> exactly. That would be really make, handy. <laughs> make, our, make our job a bit easier, please. But no, you're right. And I think, you know, it, it, as we know, it is a major business on the other side. That, and it is criminal. A lot of it. I mean, we do have we do have to face the, the sort of the criminal cyber crime type thing. We also have to think about it from a nation state actors. We we've got a lot of things to think about in, in our in our in in cyber security, and and it, and at times it would be quite worrying. And I think that's another thing we've seen. We've seen the emergence or the real establishment of people starting to look after themselves and things put in place to try to look after people in cyber security, and that's a wonderful thing as well because Absolutely. we do need to do that. And we, as we approach Christmas, I'm not sure when this will be going out, but as we approach Christmas as we're recording this, you know, we, we've got to think about the break and looking after ourselves and taking time off. But of course, on the other side, side of the coin, we actually have to be prepared that sometimes that's the time when things happen that we don't want to happen. So, mm. yeah. It's a double-edged sword. It definitely is. <laughs> it's all about balance, right? It is. So I'm, I'm going to start with, I think, you know, the highlight of the Oz set year is Return 30. 
30 years old, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how long have you been here, Beck, with, with us, sir? 11 of those years. 11, yeah. <laughs> I think I've been here seven, seven now. Yeah, and, and what, wow, what a celebration it was uh, you know, earlier on in the year when you know, we had a lot of people who'd been with us uh, in the past who'd come back to be with us. Uh, and to see that sort of passion from many years ago, uh, the, the passion that they would come back in the first place to celebrate with us was, was fantastic. And, and that speaks volumes about our cert. And we, again, we were just talking about the fact that it gets, it gets to you, it gets under your skin, <laughs> and you do actually love it. And I don't think there's many organisations people work for where you find that, but it does. But 30 years, wonderful. We've evolved over those years. We're still evolving. Absolutely. We'll continue to evolve. And, and who, you know, in the future, the future looks brighter all the time for me. What I've really enjoyed is, you know, the, the party was a great way for us to kick things off and, mm. and really have that moment to, to bring everybody together. But I'm hoping everyone's been seeing our 30 Years 30 Stories campaign. So if you've been missing out on those, make sure you check out um, the Osset website under blogs. And it's also across all of our social media. But we've interviewed so many people, you know, members, current staff members, um, past staff, just a mixture of people who have interacted with us over 30 years and hearing the stories and tales of how people engage with us, what they remember, has been really special. So it's been nice to, to revisit throughout the whole year as well. For, for me, I think one of the things, we, we've still got one of the p- people who was here with us at the, almost at the very beginning, who still works here. Mm-hmm. And and we had Danny, who was who was one of the, Danny Smith, who was actually one of the early people at Dossert. And we had, the, you know, Danny, Eric together. And, and we, we see some of those stories from the very early days. And then we had Mark McPherson, who was with us for many years. Mark did a presentation at the conference about the first 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's just fascinating to see the stuff that we did. It's worthy of a novel. It really is such a secret society kind of business. Here. It is. Being on the phone with the police and yeah. tracking... Helping with wiretaps and, and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just like, wow, you, you wouldn't think that could ever happen in the, the, the time we live now. Yeah. But that's, you know... Those those are the things that also was involved with. Yeah, right? it sounds like a Hollywood movie plot. It does. It does. Yeah, maybe it will be. <laughs> so, I wonder who would play you. Oh, yeah. I'll start the script. <laughs> I think a nice follow-on from that is we did so many member meetups this year. So, getting out to Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, and of course Brisbane in home at our home state. Just the opportunity to meet with our members face to face. It's still a novelty in this post-COVID world, which is. Yeah. Apparently not so post-COVID right now. But anyway, yeah. you know, I think that chance to meet with our members, get their feedback and really shape our services and where we're heading um, was definitely one of my highlights. Yeah, I, I agree. I was fortunate to come to a few of the events. Not not all of them, but a few of them. For me, the, the, the Brisbane one was great. We had, we had a fantastic turnout and there was some great, we met some really, well, we met great people at all of them. But, but the Brisbane one, I think, was was a standout. Also, we, when we came to Mel, when we came to Melbourne, for me that was great. There's uh, there were some people who were there from uh, Zoos Victoria, yeah. and, and and I think that that's that one stands out for me with those guys. They were fantastic, and hello if you're listening. But it's just that the, the diversity of our membership is one of the things. And you go, oh, it must be really cool to work at Zoos Victoria, walk outside and see the animals. But these guys are uh, helping prove- protect that particular organization from a cyber perspective and again it's learning about what those people do uh, and how it's applied to their particular industry or their business Uh, and that's that's so fascinating yeah for me yeah I I found them really great to talk to as well because just the things I hadn't considered exactly you know we're we're like well you know how how do you protect a zoo yeah but of course they 
they sell memberships. They, you know, there, there is a whole database of customers that go along with the zoo, the families. There yeah. is. And then there's the other aspect of it. There's a certain amount of operational technology in there as well, you know. Mm. I mean, there's lots of monitoring goes on. There's lots of security goes on. It's all of that. And you think to yourself, wow, this is, this is really cool, this is. Yeah. And I think that's one of the advantages of what we have when we meet our members. It's it's great yeah. to have those all conversations. All of our members are so different. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another initiative that we saw this year was executive roundtables. So we partnered with IT News. Uh, and I know you were at a few of those sessions as well. I learned so much from a few of those that I sat in on. There were, I mean, the food was also amazing. But the discussions were just, it was great having Sizos comparing their stories with each other and what they're experiencing and and finding solutions with each other. I, th- I think so. I, I think uh, the opportunity to bring people together at that particular sort of level is really important. And, and you know, we, we often we are often involved in the in the operational level, uh, which is fantastic. And I think as the conversation we just had, we, we really enjoy those conversations. But it's important to actually engage it at that at the, at the next level, that sort of size O levels, and, and get them to understand what OSERT can offer. But also, really, it's about facilitating their conversation, as you've just said, bringing them together, learning from each other, what their problems are, what their solutions are, um, just just sometimes just a, as a therapy session almost it, to go... I was about to say, how honest people were with yes. what they were sharing, some of the incidents that they've been through. You know, there was there was great wins as well, don't get me wrong. You know, it wasn't all just doom mm. and gloom. No, no. <laughs> there was a lot no. of therapy, but there was also like, well, we did this awareness campaign and then our staff felt more empowered and they share these things and we protected ourselves. There was some really great success stories too. There was. There was. Yeah. Now, they've, they've, they've been very good. Those uh, roundtables really enjoyed them. Yep. So I'm hoping we'll be continuing those in 2024 as well. Excellent. The conference. <laughs> wow. We, I always have to talk about the conference, right? Quite um, right. Yeah. No, I I was really excited. The conference was our largest face-to-face in many years. Yeah. It's great to have everybody there. I th- I'm trying to think what my highlight was. And it's hard to pick just one. <laughs> wow. I think my highlight was the very start right through to the very end, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, I mean, whether you look at it from the tutorials and the, the energy that you see in the tutorials, whether you see it from the opening of the conference, um, I, I'm very fortunate to be able to stand there on stage for those first few minutes and, and see that, that, that all those people there who are excited for the conference to start. Mm. Just the, the com- again the conversations with people and learning about what people do and what they what they need and what they want and what they they're busy doing how how they're solving problems. I I think through to the you know we, we get very good support from from our sponsorship from our vendors Absolutely. and to hear vendors say one of the greatest great conferences that they go to and they're literally getting leads right up to the they're packing away and people are still coming to them and the vendors going this is fantastic this is so worth us being at so I think every aspect of it for me is yeah. is worth it's an energy that I, I haven't seen anywhere else and I, I have to admit they're my favourite days I just feed on that energy and that community vibe the yeah. fact that you can hardly hear yourself because everyone's talking and engaging with each other yeah yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a pretty special week of my year I have to say oh very much so. and you, then you need the, the weekend to recover I mean it, it really is <laughs> um, for, for those people who come to the conference I'm sure they experience that to an extent but I know for you and your team and for the rest of us, I think the, the amount of energy it, it takes, how much we get, but how much it takes, leaves you at the weekend just just wanting to sort of lay down in a darkened room for a few days, I think. I, know. I went straight to the beach that Saturday morning, I can tell you. 
<laughs> well, it's Queensland exactly. in May. It's definitely exactly. worth being out visiting. <laughs> not, not a terrible time to be at the Gold Coast. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> Our training sessions. So, you know, we continue delivering the, the previous courses, but we introduced three new courses this year. Yes. And again, I think, you know, one of the differentiators, also it always has, you know, many, many differentiators. Look, we love we love the vendor space. We love the commercial companies. We know that the for profits are there and they're very, very important. We have a very different philosophy. Our training courses, I, I think, offer something that's very, very different. Usually the fact that the people who deliver them are actually practitioners. They've done it or they're doing it. They're doing this yeah. type of work, yeah. so they can really talk about the about yeah. it. not it's just not the just the content. content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the war stories are, yeah. are part of the magic. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> and I think that you know, developing more courses, you know, we've moved into the data governance thing. People are starting to get that. that you know, it's important to how you govern your data, mm. not just put your cyber controls there. It, these things are all important. They're all interlinked, and we, we're trying to make this more f- holistic. Yeah. So, uh, again, an exciting area for us to yeah. be. So the yeah. other two that we introduced were the intermediate cybersecurity for IT professionals. Mm. So people have been calling for that. You know, so many people have done our introduction course, so it was time for a follow-up um, session there for sure. Um, and now our cyber resilience for senior executives. That's right. Again, something we've, we've known has been required, you know, more and more so that people who sit on, on boards, we do know that now that they've got, they've got real responsibility. It's not just they, they need to be informed. They need to know what questions to be asking of their, around the board table. They need to know what their organisation is doing. They are more and more, they are, they are accountable for it. Mm. And if they're not trained or, or not informed, then they, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to do their, their role as a board member. So again, that's something we're doing. We're very conscious. We're very conscious that these people are very time poor. So we're doing it as quite a, a short that's course. That's not a one-day course. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I'm sure we could cover one day uh, easily, but but it's really about giving that initial information and then you know following it. We can follow up, and there'll be other things that we can do in the future. Exactly. So yeah, I think we'll be very busy delivering training next year and expanding mm. our courses even further, which is great. It is yeah. very good. The next thing I had on my list of things: <laughs> maturity assessments. So. It's not been very broadly delivered just yet. We did start with a pilot and we were focusing on schools for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've been delivering those. I'm really excited by this because I feel like that's something that we've been talking about once again for a long time. Yes. You know, do we go into more of a consulting phase? What does that look like? Where do we start? Where do we end? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to add about what you're seeing in in that area? Well, look, I think this is, again, this is a really important thing. I, 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 I do openly confess to being a technologist from my past life and and I love my technology but but you know the whole governance risk compliance piece the whole GRC piece is extremely important to understand in your environment and there's many many organizations especially in the small to medium-sized enterprise area who are aren't able to have big consultancy companies come in to do big assessments to train their own people in the space it takes a while or to employ somebody who's got those skills uh, and there's a lot of quick wins in the sense of doing very light touch maturity assessments, cyber maturity mm-hmm. assessments. So that's what we really are, are trying to do. You know, based on I think it's something like the, t- the tw- twenty sort of quite fundamental controls assessing an organisation. The good thing about that is, of course, is that what, it's a very light touch. It's very it's quick. It it doesn't take an awful lot of effort from the point of view of the organisation. Mm-hmm. We can deliver a report quite quickly. 
and and very often there's quick wins in that. Yeah. So you can be at what you can you know do the evaluation, see where you sit, uh, get some get get the report, see the quick wins, and actually improve your maturity, your cyber maturity. So it's your cyber resilience, maybe is a better word, and uh, improve your cyber resilience with a few few small changes. Yeah. And and the reality is that those quick wins can make a massive difference. Yeah. So again, we have been talking about that for a long time. To get into that space is really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I guess much like our training courses, the people we have doing those assessments are walking with our members. You know, you're not just handed some information, give us this data, we'll figure it out. It's yeah. very much an, an interview. We'll sit down, explain why we're asking these questions, what that data does, where it's going. Yeah. And then, yeah, right through to that report of like actual here's not just where you sit, but here's a, here's some ideas. Here's a, a path of how you're going to get from here to there mm-hmm. and, and how you're going to get there. Yeah. No, I, I think it, I think it's a, re, it, it's a great service. And as you say, we've, we're really just in the pilot or they've just passed the pilot stage. Uh, we've not rolled it out too far yet. Um, yeah, it's going to be a big ramp up next year. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think it definitely is. And I, and I think when we, this, I think in certainly in the SME, in the small to medium-sized enterprise area, this is going to be very successful. Mm-hmm. I guess on the more technical side of OzCert, we've launched OzMisp officially to all of our members. Yes, we have. That was really exciting. You know, a lot of, oh, I won't say a lot, a portion of our members have been using that as a, as a pilot for a long time, yep. been playing. But, you know, I think there's a lot of work that people might not have realized that has happened in the background, making sure that we could get our single sign-on happening there, streamlining, making sure it's just right for all of our members. And we've integrated CETUS into there as well. That's right. So suddenly, you know, that, that the government, that government cyber threat intelligence service is now available to many, many more people. You know, most people are not able to get the CETUS feed from the ACSC unless you're a critical infrastructure you're a partner and in in many in the critical infrastructure space so but there's a lot of good in, good intelligence in there and and it, what we're essentially doing with osmisp is is bringing that level of 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 threat intelligence to many many organizations to help them protect it again you know using that takes some effort so we're also we're also helping people um, adopt it. So we're doing some small training courses, some online training training courses. Uh, we've got some guides. We're doing we're doing all that to try to help people actually use that that service. And about apart from the seat the CETUS information that, that from the government. There's lots of other good threat intelligence that, that we gather just from our operations. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things that many people don't know is that we do an awful lot of phishing takedowns. But that phishing takedown information does feed our threat intelligence. So, you know, so there's some real value in that. But we also want to, we don't just want to deliver a service. We want to deliver a service that help, and also enable people to use it, show them how to do it. Absolutely. It's not win. a set and forget. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, look, we've we've done a lot of other things besides these things, but we could have you here all, all day. <laughs> I'm really excited. I think that's a, a nice summary of the year and how much it actually, I don't know if it makes me tired or enthused actually at the end of it, maybe a bit of both. Any ideas what next year is going to hold? Oh, next year is going to be even better. <laughs> I'm 
simple. It is. Yeah, that's that's it. That's it. It's just going to be. It's going to be really better. I think. I think when you're part of a team who are so enthused, who who are who are passionate about what they do, then it can't ever be anything else. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we have setbacks. They're like every every organisation. We have our ups and downs. We have you know things that happen that we don't expect. But we keep on, because we, we believe in it, we keep on going. And I know, you know, obviously Beck and I, we've, we've, we've been talking about the, we've been talking about what the next year looks like in terms of engagement. And Beck and her team have got some fantastic ideas. And I'm t- talking to you as the, as the <laughs> listener, as opposed to Beck. But, you know, you have got some great ideas in the space. And I think you're going to see a lot more of us. And, and you're going to see the refinement of our services. I'm always very passionate about thinking of our services from the point of view of the consumer. How easy are they to use? Are, are, they, are they relevant? Are they worthy to pay for it, for their membership for? All those things are really, really important. And I think you'll see a bit more refinement of those. But the engagement is, I think, going to be, it's going to be great next year. Yeah, I'm excited. But first, mm. I think we all need a break. <laughs> We definitely do, yes, and I, and I hope you know. I, I know you definitely, definitely, you and your team definitely deserve it, as and all the other people deserve a, a break. We are still available, absolutely, uh, during the Christmas break. So the we have, do not sleep. No, we do have that twenty-four by seven hotline. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, if people do have any issues, then we are there to be able to help mm-hmm. help out. So, but I hope everybody has had a, a great break and is rested. Yes, I'm. I'm going to put it out to the universe. Can we have a, a nice restful Christmas? No stress. I hope so. Yeah, I really <laughs> hope so. Thank you so much for joining me, David. That's a pleasure. It's great to. It's great to have the opportunity again. Thank yeah. you. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next year. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the Ausert Podcast, and special thanks to Chris, Beck, and David. On behalf of the whole OzCert team, I want to wish you all a great break and save time celebrating in whatever you do according with your tradition and culture. We'll be back in the new year with the next episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about OzCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.